Andrew uh, is going to talk with us and hear from you about the tools that we have and especially uh, what we need. And I think that latter part is going to be uh, pretty interesting as well. So, Andrew. Thanks, Dan. On? Okay, great. Um, thanks for that intro, Dan. We, uh, Dan and I have been teaching together for many years now, so um, it's great that we finally get to do a conference together. Uh, one of the things I did this year, which I thought was I've never seen done before, was on my business card, I start putting on my Wikipedia username. And I remember when I first put my email on my business card back in the, wow, 80s, I met one of the top folks at Digital Equipment Corporation, if you remember a firm by that name. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in Massachusetts, so I should assume all of you know that. But um, I remember one of the top guys on the internet or the networking folks at DEC said, I've never seen anyone with an email before on their business card, and he wanted an extra copy just to keep on his own. So maybe this is the first business card you see with a Wikipedia username on it. Um, just going to go forward? Maybe not. Okay. Um, as Dan said, I was with Columbia Journalism School back in the 1990s, and we started the new media program. And the last three years, I've been at University of Hong Kong doing research in online journalism, and specifically Wikipedia. So actually, this is a great uh, venue for a citizen journalism conference, because it really brings together the two things I really love. And right now, I am working on a book about Wikipedia, and also doing some research on the Chinese firewall from behind the firewall. So I'm actually based in Beijing right now, but this is all very informal in terms of uh, my research on the security aspects of it. But I'd like to specifically point out Leonard. Is he here? Oh, there he is. Um, when I first went to AJMC in Toronto, he had this public journalism, uh, citizen journalism type event back in 2004. And this year when I ran into him, I said, um, so what are we going to do this year at AJMC? And he said, nothing. And I said, that's really crazy. This momentum is growing. We're not going to have a citizen journalism event this year. So that's when Dan and I talked and Amgen and other folks from Wikipedia and Wikinews, we said we should have one here at Wikimania. And it's really great that we were able to use Wikimania as the center of the universe for a lot of different things. And this year we saw in Wikimania as well, you we saw companies like WikiHow, these Folks who work on WikiHow, 10 employees, had never met in person before until they met at Wikimania here. So this is really interesting how a lot of things have, uh, have spun around uh, Wikimania, and we had a lot of great speakers here at Wikimania as well. I'm especially uh, proud to put this up there. This past year, during the WTO conference in Hong Kong, we specifically wanted to try to see if we can get a press pass for WikiNews. Completely distributed, no top editor, no management, whatever, and we went through the process of trying to get a press pass, and we actually got it. It actually wasn't as hard as we thought it would be. But we just wanted to get Wikinews and these folks on the map to see um, whether these uh, organizations were going to give accreditation to citizen reporters. So I encourage you to try this experiment as well. And with Wikinews, we're trying it more and more. I'd just like to show this, because when I was teaching in Asia, I'd like to show kind of what the spectrum was like for different types of citizen journalism happening in the Asia region. So although this is Asia-specific, you can probably think of things in your community that start to fall into this spectrum. 
And I just bring this up for some thought process on wh- what you think about these, this model here. If you look on the left-hand side, what we consider hierarchically generated news, this is the traditional model that we're talking about. On the right-hand side, we're talking about very spontaneously generated stuff. So if you look at the extremes, we're talking about wikis on this side and your traditional newspaper with the editor-in-chief, sub-editors, and as it goes down and down and down. But you start to see on the Internet, we see a lot of different things start filling up the spectrum up here. So we see things like uh, civic journalism, even before the Internet, started to get feedback from the audience by polling, by uh, different surveys, to find out what the community wanted to hear. So you started to get feedback. It wasn't just the editor's dominating the conversation. But what we start to see with the internet is more and more types of content filling up this middle area. So if you look at the types of sites out there now, things like Oh My News, Slashdot, Plastic, Daily Coast, Metafilter, Dig.com, which is user-contributed bookmarks, and people can rank them up and down. These are the types of things that we're seeing fill this spectrum in there. And this is really enabled by the new technology tools that we have. So in Asia, we start to see a lot of different things fill up this area here, but still quite a big empty spot in the middle. So this is the big slide that I wanted to show you. Not that you can make sense of all this stuff here, but this is kind of like a random kind of stream of consciousness flow of what I consider kind of the the tech environment right now as it pertains to citizens' media. So if you look at things like the social software aspect of things, collaborative filtering, meta-moderation, like in Slashdot, Daily Coast, uh, uh, different places um, on the internet, uh, networking of different individuals through LinkedIn and other types of services, um, radical inclusion. This is a phrase used quite a bit at the Wikimania conference this past week. Wikipedia, Wiki News, anyone can edit any time, and your con- contributions will be weighed against what, what other people do. Um, RSS and tagging, solid state recording. This is something that's really interesting that a lot of people have started to find has helped their work process a lot. Basically, you think of a video camcorder married with an iPod. So when you record 60 minutes of video, instead of having to take 60 minutes to transfer that video to your computer, it's automatically in a file that may be indexed that you can edit right away. And I remember over 10 years ago, they had a very, very, very expensive... Um, professional video camera called the Cam Cutter from Avid. Now you have this Cam Cutter that used to be five, six figures down in a consumer device right here. So this is really going to change the way that people gather video because suddenly it's just plopped on your hard disk and you can start to edit it right away. Um, Other areas, P2P communication, so voice over IP, Skype, obviously. If you haven't tried Skype casting, this is a really cool Thing. It's basically like running your own radio talk show on the internet, and you can hand the mic to different folks um, around the, uh, the circle of folks that you're chatting with. Uh, security. Since I'm in China, obviously, these type of tools are more important to me. Um, things like Tor. We have someone from Tor here. Yay, Tor. Um, VPNs, encryption, ways to securely talk from one place to another on the internet. We've got, um, obviously, blogs, podcasting, video blogging, P2P distribution through BitTorrent, obviously a lot of legal implications, but also if you have not heard of something called PP Live, it's like taking BitTorrent technology but live streaming stuff. So this is quite popular in China, unfortunately, for U.S. Um, film and TV companies. They're streaming things like ESPN, HBO, and stuff like this to not only people inside China but all over the world. So you have a lot of users all over the world just downloading this Chinese client 
and watching HBO from all the different places around the world. Um, content management systems, anyone who works with um, blogs knows about things like WordPress, Drupal, Joomla, Scoop, these type of tools. Um, digital imaging, digital cameras are getting higher and higher resolution. We're having cheap storage and bandwidth. Brewster Kale talked this week about the fact that they need to do a lot of work on the back end to keep cycling through hardware, but they're encouraging anyone and everyone to dump their stuff on their servers. So this is becoming cheaper and cheaper. So what I'd like to do is just open up the floor and find out from you folks what kind of things you've been doing with this type of stuff and what your wish list is for what you can't do today that you'd like to do tomorrow. So whether there are people here who are working on solutions or people who need to find solutions, these are a lot of things that we're looking for. So to comment, reflect, and request today. So we want all, including Jason, we want you to comment. We encourage copious amounts of discussion. Do you want to do your uh, chart? Yes. So we want to fill in this chart, but do not limit it to this chart. I just provide this as a sort of thinking process for how you want to do things, or how you want to talk about things. So what do we have today? What are some of the best practices that you found in news gathering, in editing or filtering, and in distribution? And what kind of things are you missing or that you'd like to see tomorrow? If you could fill in this chart, I think it would be immensely valuable to folks, not only in this room, but outside this room. Should we go quadrant or, or second? Um, we can go kind of anywhere we need to. But. Hi. Um, Shava Nirad, Tor Project. Um, just wanted to, to point out that Tor, although it's considered to be a security tool for China, um, at, for example, at Media Giraffe, I ran into a lawyer who sat there and said he was able to do citizen media despite having a prominent role in his community because he could blog anonymously because of Tor. Um, so it's also a tool for people who want to have a voice who can't afford to have their identity, you know, spill over from other things. Right. So, that can't be yep. the only thing going on. Dan? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dan Bricklin. Okay, you can hold it. Um, when I think about this area, um, I go back and look at wikis, I look at blogs, I look at newspapers, I look at books. And I've said that we're, one of the reasons apparently that the company called Aldous was named that was because there was this guy who figured out how to make books work, which was you make them the right size so they fit in saddlebags, you make sure that you have page numbers and <clears throat> that you have titles and chapters and things like that. Those were inventions that made the book work. The newspaper, as it was developed over the last few hundred years, the idea of having headlines, the inverse permit, uh, the lead, and all those type of things, sections and all, became important, above the fold, below the fold, understanding those things. As we ended up with, um, with the blog, for example, what made we had personal websites for, for many years, and they sort of went and they sort of died, um, because until we figured out that maybe there was this important thing of automatically making it easy to do reverse chronological, to automatically put in the title, that the title was important, the date and time, perhaps who posted it if it, wasn't, if it was a shared blog, and the permalink. These were inventions, and the fact that they were done automatically made blogging take off by putting that in the tools. The wiki, which is different, 
wiki has you end up with a uh, a complete always a complete entity of linked pages. The idea that the the wiki had uh, markup, simple markup, the ability to put in lists, be able to put in bold header, headings and stuff like that easily, and that it kept a list of history for each page, and you could create a page before you actually wrote it. You could just refer to something and you could organically grow the website. Those were the primitives that made up the wiki. And those are important and those were different than the blog. So the thing is, with citizen journalism, in order to be able to do the things you need for what we want citizen journalism to be, whatever that is, what primitives do we need to make sure we have? For example, for, my, for me now to throw out a few and then let you guys think of what I'm sure you can come up with, oh, this was only easy and we all had it. Um, some of it is very bursty. Somebody doesn't mean to be a journalist, but they happen to be there at the right time. They happen to be in London when right in front of them they see something horrible happen and they happen to have some media device in their hand, you know, which is to be shared with the world. The same thing, you're out on a vacation and, and this huge wave comes by. And those people became citizen journalists in a way. How does one make it possible for that to show up in the right place, for that to be there, and for people to know where and how to do it? That's one type of thing. There's the, how do, do we handle the burstiness? Do we handle, is there, are we building an entity? What is the equivalent? A blog doesn't have traditionally the equivalent of sections and the stuff that a newspaper has for people to find what they want. They sort of sometimes use categories and all, but that's, it's not organized that way. Maybe, you know, what is journalism? What should it be? So what primitives do we need to have? Then we can build the right tool. It doesn't have to be built out of a wiki. It doesn't have to be built out of a blogging tool. Maybe there needs to be a tool. Just remember that the early blogging tools, the early wikis, the first um, web browser and web server are things that are done in a quote-unquote weekend because the basic primitives were, in, were invented and put Spray into sheet. a simple system, and those then grew like wildfire. So it doesn't require multi-million dollar development. Okay. <laughs> WikiCalc. I, I need your WikiCalc, actually. I'm, I'm using the wrong tool <laughs> for this thing. Tool here, but WikiCalc is just for producing one piece, which is when you need the table or something like that. <laughs> Good. Minor piece. Yeah. Look, I'd, I'd like to just mention uh, to those of you who don't know who was just speaking, uh, this is Dan Bricklin, who in a significant way is one of the uh, people most responsible for the revolution that we are all enjoying. Uh, Dan was the uh, co-founder of the company that did VisiCalc, which was the first electronic spreadsheet and uh, is one of my absolute heroes. So uh, I, I just want to say it's really good to have you in the room. Thanks. Uh, Ethan. Hi. Um, I wanted to uh, suggest, and I'm hoping this is sort of building on what, what Dan was talking about, was that, uh, hi, sorry, uh, Ethan Zuckerman, uh, Global Voices, he'll be hearing from me later in the day, and I'm sure uh, intermediate <laughs> in the day as well, as I slowly wake up. Um, I wanted to build on this idea of how we build tool sets and sort of how these tool sets evolve, and one of the things that I want to suggest is that the folks who are involved with this movement now are not necessarily the most important folks to be involved with this movement. Um, 
So we're sitting in an air-conditioned room in Cambridge, and the vast majority of us have laptop computers in front of us, and the vast majority of us have broadband internet connections, and the vast majority of us either work in academe or the technology industry. And the truth is, what actually happens in our world and in our lives actually isn't all that interesting, sort of moment to moment and day to day. Um, we tend to encounter a whole lot less news and events taking place than a lot of other people scattered throughout the world. And in many cases, the people who are going to be using the tools of citizens' media, helping build up this medium that we're talking about, are going to be interacting with these tools through very different interfaces than we are interacting with. They're probably not going to be writing on this. They're probably going to be finding a way to write on this or something along those lines. And so one of the things that I'd like to urge us to think about, particularly as we think about this matrix that Andrew is putting together as we think about today to tomorrow, Today we're thinking about this very much as based around the laptop, based around sort of the cutting edge of technology as we push the technological envelope further and can suddenly edit within the camera and no longer have to deal with the upload and so on and so forth. This is all fantastic and wonderful and brilliant stuff. But to actually get this out to transform journalism as we know it and to actually touch the lives of people outside of the developed world, we're going to have to think really seriously about how we get out of the devices and the paradigms that we're currently using and into the devices and the paradigms that the people who are actually going to be doing a lot of the citizen reporting are going to be using. And so one of the things that I have been urging people uh, to think about since very, very early on in this process is how can you turn a telephone into something that makes you a reporter? How do we start building systems based around something like Asterisk where we can put up a phone switch attached to a low-cost or a no-cost phone service where people can easily log into an account, put up a part of a story, do some very simple editing or some very simple linking, and then how do we build that together into radio broadcast? Because radio, for the vast majority of the world right now, is the broadband information delivery medium that we have to deal with. So let me just sort of throw that out as a challenge, that as we think about going from today to tomorrow, we're not just thinking about what can we do when our technology gets better and richer and faster, but actually what can we do when our technology gets slower and more primitive, because that's actually the, the next frontier for this stuff. Uh, if you don't know Ethan, he's the, one of the two folks with Rebecca McKinnon who started Global Voices uh, online, if you have not seen that. And Ethan is also one of the voices of reason when virtual Darfur came out, I guess, what, a month or two ago, and everyone was doing stories about how wonderful this virtual Darfur game was, and Ethan was a voice of reason saying, hold on a second, how much better is virtual Darfur than you know, sitting in a, in a cozy room, uh, smoking a cigar, and all the martinis? I like the, the virtual Darfur game a lot. <laughs> it was the Second Life uh, right, virtual right. Darfur right. refugee camp that I ended up ranting about. Right, the Second Life uh, uh, simulation of it, right. I just want to ask for a second, could you explain Asterisk for us? A lot of people might not know what it is. Oh, sure, absolutely. Asterisk is uh, an open source phone solution, uh, and it's a phenomenally complicated, multifunctional, and powerful platform that can basically let you do anything from uh, build the world's most sophisticated home answering machine, uh, but ideally what it really lets you do are build uh, what people are now calling IVR, interactive voice response applications. So sort of anything that you can think about delivering through web scripts and sort of CGI and all the things that we're used to doing on the web, you can also do by triggering uh, sort of if-then statements and uh, going through different voice files.
Um, one thing that, that um, I'd like to respond to Ethan, one thing that I've noticed in all of the things that I've been collecting is the, um, the lack of, uh, the, the incredible lack of radio. There's a lot of people doing visual stuff. There's a lot of people doing text stuff. There's not a lot of people doing audio stuff. Um, in the U.S., it's probably because the spectrum is so heavily regulated that regular people can't get to radio, um, so they produce some podcasts, which doesn't really help folks in the developing world. Um, but I'd love to, I'd love to see um, uh, sort of more um, uh, ordinary folks broadcasting stuff, and I think that would, that would radio is a huge medium in the developing world. It's like the medium. Anyone here using a low-power radio or getting into that at all? Okay. Isabel. Hi, I'm, I'm Isabel Hilborn. I'm an independent consultant, and I specialize in community building and, uh, and online marketing. And I, so I often tend to think of things from the user's point of view as opposed to the producer's point of view. And I wanted to address Dan's uh, question about important tools and to me, as a user and thinking about what users need, the single most important thing is a good search and filtering mechanism for blogs. I'll often find my personal experiences that I might read one blog post on one person's blog, and that'll be the only time I've ever been to the blog, and I'll never go back uh, on purpose, because that's really the only time that they mentioned something that I actually cared about. And so I'm not, I'm not necessarily just... And the other way I read blogs is I'll read a friend's blog because they're a friend. But um, I still haven't found the right combination of tools, and I'd love to hear people's input about, you know, do you go to um, an editor's pick type of site where you're letting somebody else find what to read and then you just read what they tell you to read, or are you using um, search like Google, like Technorati, like blog lines? Um, are you um, setting up uh, RSS feed readers that have keywords. I mean, how are people uh, sifting through all of this stuff? Anyone have any answers? I'll, uh, I can volunteer something there. Um, I, it, a couple things that, toward that. Uh, somebody mentioned earlier the, the need for tagging. Um, well, on the one hand, a, a service like Technorati, which I think is the only search engine looking at tagging right now, um, is kind of going more national and looking at the top ten of this and that. If you put tags in your stuff, I just suggest that everything that a local site does get tagged with the name of that city or the name of the location so people looking, looking up at a tag basis can do that. Um, so that, and that's, that's, what's that? Oh, I thought Dan was whispering to me. But he, he's anyway. There was another thing, but I don't remember what it was. But I just wanted to point out tagging is a pretty important. Oh, I know what it is. It's it's keyword search. Um, if you do a search for keywords or or um, uh, or key phrases or combinations of them or whatever or tags on Technorati or Google Blog Search or blog lines or Feedster, you can actually have those turn into RSS feeds that go into your aggregator. I actually don't look at blogs anymore very much. I just look at at searches for topics, like I'll search for this topic today for you know the the, the unconference. I don't work. Do, is there what is our tag here? Uh, Let's make one up. No, we just we, uh, just, uh, we have a Flickr tag. Okay. Yeah, make it the same one. Sit media. Okay, sit media. Oh six. Okay, so I'll do a search for that, or probably for you know Dan and unconference, rather than for anybody's particular blog. That's a it's a really in, not in Technorati. I don't look in Technorati. I look in my aggregator for stuff that Technorati finds and feeds to my aggregator. Are you not much anymore. 
Are you saying that that's a, this is Dan again, Dan Bricklin again, are you saying that that's the primitive, being able to choose the common tag around an event is a primitive we need to deal with so that I know where to use my cell phone to, what to tag things with, so that in my case, the, I think that there is this job of the editor, the traditional job of the editor, the slot, the, what is it, the slot guy in the, in the newspaper who decides which stories are worth looking at, who, who to send something. The assignment editor. The assignment editor. Oh, yes? Explain primitive. Oh, primitive <laughs> is, there's, a primitive is the, the basic simple thing that you build other things out of um, so that the, the permanent link that is a primitive of blogging, for example. Like the atom is the primitive of molecule? Yeah, in traditional. <laughs> uh, it seems to me that... Oh, I'm uh, Randy.f, Randy Fenstermacher. I'm the uh, editor, publisher, and staff of the Guy by the Door blog on the Harvard Web Server, Harvard Law School Web Server. Uh, it seems to me that the thing we most need are smart aggregating tools that facilitate a role that is similar to, but different from, what the classical news editor does. Uh, the, the example that, that comes to, I have two examples. One example was the uh, June 16th uh, uh, celebration, army celebration of the, uh, its 300th anniversary, which took place on the, on the common over here. A number of us were there. The mainstream media were there, but they were licensed and chaperoned by the Defense Department. And so they, and, and, and even though they had copious amounts of footage available to them, they, they almost didn't, it didn't, you didn't see anything of it. There was very little coverage of it uh, in the mainstream media. Um, a number of us bloggers were there, uh, but the thing was, that uh, none of us got the whole story because we were all there at different times. We were all limited in, our, in the resources that we had. So I was there early, uh, and then uh, Steve was there, and then, and then I went to work, and then I came back at lunch. And, uh, and, uh, nobody w uh, and the only people who were there when the people were getting arrested, the people were getting arrested, were the people from Indie Media who were connected to the, the uh, Boston Direct Action Committee. So what, what, what's so, the tool you want? So uh, the, the point is that I tr what I tried to do was I tried to put together an anthology. I looked, tried to look through the blogs and to be able to put together what happened that day. So you need tools to facilitate that, and they need to be much smarter than RSS and Technorati and things like that. Uh, but you, you will also still need a person who's willing to do that and make, try to make some coherent sense out of it. Otherwise, each yeah, person has to do their own search and try to put it together, and then it won't everything's work. Everything's time-stamped. Yeah, hi. I'm Micha Sifri, and um, I run a site called the Personal Democracy Forum, but I'm also here as an advisor to the Sunlight Foundation. Um, and uh, Sunlight Foundation, in a sentence, just started a couple of months ago uh, and is interested in using technology and the social web to shine more light on, to help citizens shine more light on what uh, the dark corners of Washington and Congress. Um, so one of our flagship projects is Congresspedia. Um, I wanted to talk about content and tools and mention just one or two of the things that we've 
started doing, and, and we're really here to get everyone's ideas about what else we should be doing. Um, one of the things that we looked at was the problem of, of just access to information about what goes on in Washington and Congress. There's a lot of stuff that's hidden in plain view. That is to say, they disclose their personal financial uh, information, but it's filed on, in, on paper. So uh, you can't really do a search of what members of Congress own what stocks unless you want to wade through 535 PDFs. So. Uh, one of our first grants was to um, digitize all of that and make it searchable, which will be out in about a month. Um, another example, you can't get, in a unified way, uh, specific information about all federal contracts and all federal grant making. And that's a database that um, will be up and available to the public in about another month. Um, so part of the – so what we're looking for here is what other content, what other kinds of content um, would people like to have at their fingertips? By the way, all the grants we're making for these kinds of databases include a provision that the groups, the public interest groups that are going to um, administer these databases have to work with us on getting APIs built so that you don't just have to go to their website to look something up. You'll be able to pull that data onto your own site, do mashups, whatever you, you want to do. Second example, in terms of tools, we have our own development lab inside Sunlight called the Sunlight Labs. Um, and we're working on trying to invent some simple-to-use tools that may help bloggers and citizen journalists do what they do. Um, small example, we just put out uh, a few weeks two weeks ago, something called the pop-up politician, which is just a little bit of code that you can add to your own site. Whenever you mention a member of Congress, it'll insert a little link on their name that creates a little sun image next to their name. When you mouse over that, up pops a picture of the politician, a direct link to their page in Congresspedia, a direct link to their campaign finance history from opensecrets.org, a direct link to their recent voting history from the Washington Post voter database. Um, our thought is, let's move information to where people are looking for it already, rather than making them come to you, to your site. And in this case, let's help bloggers who are already blogging about Congress um, help their readers find out more. Um, so I'm very interested in the second column on that chart, uh, which I guess goes under content. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know where tools go in your, in your chart, Andrew. Um, but we're, we're really uh, deliberately a half-baked operation. That is to say we don't have all, all the ideas um, and uh, really are interested in trying to serve what we see as a growing community. Great. Thank you. We have someone here. Uh, my name is Frank Moretti. I'm the director of the Center for New Media Teaching and Learning at Columbia and an old colleague of Andrews. And uh, this is uh, really uh, my first exposure in any really deliberate way to citizen journalism. And I was curious about something that just an observation as I try to learn. In Ethan's comment, there seemed to be a, a buried value proposition that comes up again in some of the comments about really the enfranchisement of disenfranchised people providing voices for people who don't have them. At the same time, it's, it's not clear that that really is the agenda. I'd really like to learn more about um, whether or not citizen journalism has a, a political agenda that uh, is based on a view of the world as a 
place of injustice and social inequality uh, uh, over the course of the conference. And I know that's got nothing to do with tools. We make a lot of tools in the center I direct, and please go to it and take a look at them and be happy to share them with you. Okay. Hi, I'm Eric Miller from Wikinews. Um, actually, I, I first would like to maybe make a distinction between different notions that there are of citizen journalism. From my point of view, we actually have two layers that we're dealing with, and they're actually visible in that matrix here. The, the first primary layer is the gathering of, of facts, and there's a lot of people who can contribute to that part of the citizen journalism process. But the actual editing, I think, from my point of view, from my experience with Wikinews, it's always going to be a smaller subset who turn facts into stories. And I think these two different groups, we really should give them different tools. I, I think they are different, distinct groups. And I, I'm going to fill your matrix a little bit. Mm -hmm. So well, one of the tools which I, I think is we, we have experimented a little bit with Wikinews is collaborative editing, such as SubEther Edit or Moon Edit or Gobby. <coughs> And which basically means you, you have a group of people, like five, six people with an internet connection. They can really edit the same document in real time with the changes every single one of them makes being color-coded. And that's actually been fairly productive in the experiments we've made with it so far. The problem is that the technology is not yet mature enough, especially the open source implementations of it. It would be really interesting <coughs> if there was some, uh, some ground process there that, that could help with developing that particular, particular tool set. The other thing that I, I think would be really interesting is video aggregation. So a, a, a method of actually saying I have a particular theme, a particular topic, and a, I want people to submit which media under that theme. So for instance, please tell us your healthcare stories and submit your videos of, of what you've experienced with healthcare in the United States, or, or please tell us your stories. Did you say video aggregation? Yeah, video aggregation. Okay, thank you. So, so then you would have a process by which all these video streams come together and <coughs> individuals can collaborate on segmenting them into pieces and aggregating them into a, a larger picture like a documentary. Um, there's actually some of this already exists, so it's somewhere between now and future. It's, uh, there's a project called MetaVid, M-E-T-A-V-I-D, that is under development right now. And that, that ties together with, with the point made earlier uh, using tools like, like Congresspedia. There, there are, uh, I think it's not just the resources themselves, it's also the resource integration into the, the tools <coughs> used by citizen journalists. So, for instance, if we with Wikinews had better integration of resources like Congresspedia or C-SPAN video archives or whatever, then we could work with them more effectively, I think. And, and one final thing and one final point I want to make is just that Real investigative journalism is something that can only be turned into micro-contributions so much. If I want to spend two months to actually uh, go into a certain story and really research in-depth a particular topic, which I've done on, on some issues, then I need to, to pay the rent in the meantime. And I, I'm not sure that uh, citizen journalism is effective without models of distributed funding, which I think could actually work. So uh, let's say that you have a citizen journalism network and that individuals within that network acquire a reputation through their blogging or through their other publications, and that those with the highest reputation actually have the highest potential to aggregate financial resources from people who say, I want 20 bucks to write that story or whatever. Uh, 
Jay Rosen has started a project called newassignment.net that is going to tackle the idea of uh, paying citizen journalists to do some of the work on larger projects. It's uh, uh, it's not up yet. Not up yet, okay. It'll be uh, pretty interesting to watch. But impressed, thank raised you. some money, and it's looking really good. Yeah. Let's go here. News. News. Okay, sure. Uh, hi, Andy Carvin, Digital Divide Network. Uh, first, just quickly regarding video aggregation. There are some crude ways to do it. Like with Blip TV, you can tag any videos you want. And so uh, at Wikimania and uh, the Beyond Broadcast Conference, lots of people uploaded video and tagged it that way. Um, previous events, other things like Video Blogging Week, I set up an aggregator that would automatically collect all videos from around the world that are tagged Video Blogging Week 2006 and archive them that way. And so it's, it's, it's not very elegant, but it does work. Um, regarding other things that need to be filled in, I haven't really heard much on SMS text messaging. I think we overlook SMS a lot in this country, whereas it's a staple way of communicating around the world. In particular, when you see crises, uh, occurring such as Katrina or the tsunami when all other technologies fail and the mobile phone voice does not work, SMS often works quite well. And so during and after the tsunami, some of us experimented with setting up something called the, uh, uh, the Internet re Relay Cache, which the idea behind it was to, uh, uh, or excuse me, Alert Retrieval Cache, which would take SMS and send them to networks of different people based on tags. So if you were in a community and you were looking for a certain type of medicine, you could send out the SMS and it would get out to the right people who had that particular tag in, in their arsenal, if you will. Uh, similarly, uh, it's, it's very easy to uh, set up an SMS relay system using Google News, or Google Groups, because Google Groups, you can, uh, if you send an email through your SMS, it will accept it and not block it. And so I've done some experiments with that, just sending out batches of, of SMSs to, uh, to groups of people using nothing but a mobile phone to do it, and it works pretty easily. So in some cases, we have the tools. We just need better methods in using them. Uh, Steve Garfield is going to be leading a session coming up on video and audio and other uh, multi kinds of media, but... Uh, he has something to say now. Right. Dan, um, for online video editing, there's a couple of sites where you can post your sites and then collaboratively go in and pick, pick out clips and edit them online. So Jump Cut is one, and um, iSpot is another, and they're, they're, they're coming out all the time. So you might check that out. What's Mary Hodder's new company? Dabble. 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 Um, so I'm Chris Messina. Um, I have a couple things that I wanted to point out. First, there's a tool called Democracy Player, which you can download video to and aggregate things like that. It's pretty easy to use. Um, it's by the guys that do Danhill Battle who are out in Worcester. Um, second, um, I have to disclose that I am uh, one of my clients is Moses, but they have built SMS flash groups. So um, it's very simple to use. You just text, join, and then a keyword to 66937, and then anybody else who also texts uh, join and then whatever that keyword is can join it and then everybody starts it's basically like a mailing list for SMS so it's very is that easy. called Moses you Moses M-O-Z-E-S M-O-Z-E-S um, what I really wanted to just mention is that I used to work um, at a company or a startup called Civic Space and uh, we were building grassroots organizing tools and I ran into a problem over time that the, the tools for editing and creating content online are really limited and in fact limiting to both who can create and what's able to be created. 
And so after working there for about eight months as their user experience guy, I left to go work on another startup called Round2, which turned into a startup called Flock. And Flock is building an open source web browser um, built on Firefox. And in fact, uh, Dan and I had a conversation before Flock really got off the ground about how Flock could be used as the citizen journalism toolkit, in effect. Um, what we were trying to build in was a way for people to be able to easily blog, um, to tag content across an entire tag space. So instead of just having your blog in one tag space, your photos on another, you could actually do um, synchronized tagging. Um, you'd have the ability to upload photos, which already exists in Flock right now, upload video, upload rich content, um, podcasts, and so on. And then um, eventually, over time, get the concept of people into the browser so that you could literally be sending messages to people, collaborating in real time, and so on. And so really um, pushing on the models of browsers that have been with us for 10 years that are holding back a lot of people from thinking of the web as a read-write space. Um, so part of, I think, this, this um, grid here also needs to look at citizen journalism workflows. Um, what do you start with? Where do you put it? Where does it go? How do you improve it? How do you go through a revision process, um, and how do you make something living and breathing, you know, like like a wiki is? Um, so I would actually encourage you know folks interested in citizen journalism to push on the flock folks because I no longer work there um, to continue building stuff that makes sense for a larger audience besides the MySpace crowd um, that's built on building local communities that are geographically based and not just distributed across the world. And one last tool that I want to mention is something called Cast Life. Um, it's a it's a Mac program that allows you to publish a bunch of cool stuff. So, Cast Life, C A S T, uh, C A S T L I F E. Thank you. It's like ten bucks. Uh, my name's Linda Sharp. I'm an artist. What I would like to see is translation tools so that I can, you know, really understand what's going on in some other languages. Um. All of these suggestions sound absolutely fantastic, but how? What people from the bigger organizations like the Yahoo's and the Netscapes? How do you get this to a critical mass? Because you know, back to the local news discussion, the forum, for example, there was no local media there whatsoever, and unlike places like Westport now, they don't necessarily have their own uh, digital cameras. And all these technologies that Andrew pointed out are going to continually change, and also people who use them are of a certain means. And in when there isn't that critical mass of these types of free open source uh, you know, uh, tools to use, then people who, when they do have the opportunity to document something or when they have a great story to tell, they end up going to YouTube or they end up going to MySpace, and that's just, with Rupert Murdoch or News Corp buying MySpace, that just tells you where things can go. So how do we get to that critical mass of all of, this, these, all of these resources? That's, that's a good question. Um, I mean, the fellow back there, I can't remember the name, Civic Space is a good example of taking an open source generic tool and trying to put it into a well-packaged, you know, kind of one-click uh, community, if you can. Um, and we need more tools like that, definitely. Yeah, yeah Civic Space is built on Drupal, uh, which is uh, the sort of most annoying best thing out there. <laughs> Does that cover it? Uh, Kevin, State University. Uh, the one thing that we're needing, that I think we all need, it basically deals with accessibility issues. And for those of us kind of in the public space, uh, we're always dealing with the law there, but it's also, you know, it's the right thing to do. Uh, we really need tools for transcribing these things like these podcasts and video things so that they're uh, more accessible. Very good point. Hi, my name is Keith Hopper. Um, 
I think we need tools to make tools. Uh, someone needed to say it. We have things like Drupal out there and also the excitement around Ruby on Rails. Um, and I think there's a lot of potential there. If we expect to see content come from the masses, I think we should also expect to see the tools come from the same place. Are there great ideas out there? Of course, there's going to be the sea of crap issue, but we're dealing with that with content. I think we can deal with that with the tools themselves. So they need to be simplified. You uh, should not have to have a computer science degree to be able to get in and make stuff and share it and have people use it just like they do with our content. Just a few minutes ago while this conference was going on, uh, there's a little IM exchange between Mika sending a, an IM to Connor, who's sitting right next to me, who told me that Mika couldn't figure out how to send me an IM directly because I didn't have Skype turn on. Uh, the, which tell, there's a real issue with real-time communication, being able to just sort of... I mean, email is asynchronous communication. You can send someone a message, and probably they'll get it within a day, and hopefully they'll write back. But uh, there are a whole bunch of scatter tools for instant communication between people, ranging from from uh, text messaging to IMs to you know different things. And something that 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 enables everyone to kind of <laughs> to find people without having to choose between them. A whole bunch of different incompatible tools, I think, would would help people in a lot of situations involving real-time reporting. If only the IM folks would cooperate, we'd be in better shape. I have this little idea that I've been sort of thinking about. You know, people outsource to places like India and other where, and for us here, you know, if if we have a site that can get some AdSense and get a couple hundred bucks, it's, it's not worth a whole lot to us. But in a place like India, 200 bucks, 500 bucks a year, a few hundred bucks a year, is a lot of money. And I'm trying to figure if there are any tools, like in India too, they have a lot of broadband. I, you know, when the one site, 10 rupees, gives you also 20 minutes to play Grand Theft Auto, you know, if you want to, and you see these kids playing it. If there is a way to use that sort of power in places that are under, you know, underdeveloped but still have some access to broadband, to tap into that, those sources somewhere, give them a little income, but be able to expand on the kind of work that we can't, do because we can't financially afford it. I don't know what that tool would look like, but it's just something I've been thinking Well, there are transcription services the transcription in India services. that are yeah. now getting a lot of use. Um, we have time for one more, if anyone. Just from a from another technology perspective, um, in terms of transcribing, Kent Bai has been doing a lot of stuff um, with a documentary that he's working on called The Echo Chamber. And uh, you can find out more at echochamberproject.com. He's actually using the most annoying but most useful piece of software. And um, he's actually worked with QuickTime so that you can he's, – he's literally using a community of people to transcribe a number of interviews that he's done over the past couple of years. And he's made all this work out there and, and available in open source. Um, and there's some other ones out there. There's one coming out, I think, called Fission by Rogue Amoeba that also will allow you to do transcriptions and so on. And one other project that I wanted to point out um, is by a friend of ours, Sean Kuhn, who's down in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, called The People Yes. And uh, that's at thepeopleyes.pbwiki.com. He's essentially trying to organize around the local communities there to get them to report on themselves. And um, it was talked about in the back channel about how there's not a lot of 
diversity in this room, but he's addressing that issue head on um, by setting up kiosks and things like that for folks to be able to talk locally in a protected space. Um, before we break, um, one important announcement, and that is if you have come in but not uh, checked in with to get your badge and uh, importantly uh, talked to Erica here and paid your money, uh, we don't have corporate sponsors today. We really do ask that if you uh, signed up and uh, other than speakers that you do uh, give the uh, $20 to Erica and get your badge. And uh, we're going to take a break until exactly 10 minutes after 11. And okay. I want to thank Andrew and all of you. Thank you.